Yay, good morning. I'm so grateful to be with you this morning. Um, before we jump into the Palm Sunday message, and Chris, thank you for the announcements and for the reading there of scripture. Um, but before we jump into the message, I want to take a quick moment to, as we come to the end of John, Pastor John and Pastor Mary's time here at New City, I want to offer my thanks and gratitude to them. First of all, I think I speak for more than just myself when I say Mary is the type of person that will show up at your door with a bag full of groceries when your kid is sick. Time and time again, the true friend that she is has shown me the love of Jesus. And as my pastor and friend, she has taught me about the love of Jesus by showing me. And also, when, when people talk about standing in the gap, um, I, I think of Mary as someone who has the sixth sense for where the gap is, and then she has the heart to stand into it. John um, has been profoundly influential in my personal faith, and his theological focus on grace and rest is something that has been deeply restorative for my soul and will be forever grateful. Again, I think speaking for more than just myself, and in the time that our kids have you know, gone from babies to now little kids, they have supported us and our family and our marriage with beautiful tools that we will carry with us through our relationship. And I, you know, we're, as a community, sad about the transition, and I think as a community also deeply hopeful because of the foundation that has been laid due to their heartfelt work and commitment to the community. So thank you, thank you. Um, I couldn't get up here today without saying that briefly. So, Palm Sunday. I have to say, when I first found out that I was giving the Palm Sunday narrative or talking about Palm Sunday, I was like, isn't that a little dry? Like, don't you think we could do a couple Easter services? That would be way better. Um, but truly, you guys, diving into the scripture over the last few months, because that's how long it takes me. I'm really turtle slow. Um, I've fallen in love with this piece of scripture. So I'm, I'm super grateful. And this is like the only adult interaction I'm getting these days. So for the few of us that are here, thank you. This is going to be fun. Okay. Um, so I just want to open with a word of prayer. Focus on the Holy Spirit here. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to be here this morning, to be present to your movement within us, to intentionally focus on you and reorient our week around you, Lord. I pray that I may be a vessel for you this morning. Whatever is not from you, let it fall away. and Open our hearts to hear truth, to wake us up to your presence a little bit more here today. May you bring this word alive in us this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. So, awesome. Okay, so one of my very favorite things to do with my family is family movie night. Just all snuggled up, watching a movie. There's nothing I love more in this world. So 
Recently, my kiddos pooled their money together to upgrade our Disney Plus access to Premiere to watch the new showing, the new Disney movie, Raya and the Last Dragon. You know, desperate times. Um, but while Andrew and I were on a way or away on a date, they watched this movie. So it was super, the date was so worth it. It was lovely. Andrew, I love you. So fun, but I was so bummed to miss family movie night. So when I got home and they were like, Mom, it was a 10 out of 10. It was a 100 out of 10. I loved this movie. I was so glad that they loved it enough to watch it the next morning first thing with me. So we sat down, we're snuggled up, taking in the beautiful storytelling of Disney. And watching a movie with my oldest, with my daughter, is so charming. She like tells me everything before it happens. So she's like, mom, okay, pay attention, pay attention. This is where someone's about to get really hurt. Or mom, you have to watch this part. It is so funny. Or my, my favorite when we were watching this movie was mom, watch. This is the really, really good part. You know the really good part that happens just before the really bad part in a movie before the ending? Yeah, I think, I think we all know that part in a good story, right? About halfway through or maybe three-quarters of the way through the movie, this really, really good part happens. Just when the main character is really learning what they're made of or they've noticed the gifts within themselves. But the world is still in need of saving, right? It's before the ending. It's a kind of arc in the storyline, really, really good part, you know, where they're riding high and like soaking in all the goodness, but we know it's not the end. They know what they're capable of doing, but there's still so much story to be lived yet. Another beautiful and popular storyline that classically uses this good story arc and storytelling that I was reminded of while preparing was that of The Alchemist. So the book, The Alchemist, it is now, it came out in the late 80s, I think, and it is now widely translated and sold over 80 million copies. So we know it hits home with people somehow, right? So it's about stepping into one's purpose in life and what it's like when you are discovering what you are made of and what you are made for. It's about a shepherd boy named Santiago who travels from his homeland in Spain to the Egyptian desert in search of a treasure buried near the pyramids. Along the way, he meets various people, all of whom help to point him towards his quest. No one knows what the treasure is or if Santiago will help to point him towards his quest. But what starts out as a journey to find Worldly goods turns into a discovery of the treasure found within. It's largely about, the book describes it as this transforming power of our dreams and the importance of listening to our hearts. The description of the book says, to realize one's destiny is a person's only obligation. And there's one quote in particular that I want to mention here today from the story. So this particular quote takes place after the main character has met all of his other friends in the story. He has his heart set on what he is after. He has clarity for what he is made to do. He is equipped and ready to complete his mission. But he has got an obstacle yet to face. It's kind of like one of those really, really good parts in the story, right? Just before the bad part takes place before he finally accomplishes what his, he believes his calling is or what he is made for, stepping into who he really is, who he's made to be. 
The quote says, before a dream is realized, the soul of the world tests everything that was learned along the way. It does this not because it is evil, but so that we can, in addition to realizing our dreams, master the lessons we've learned as we've moved toward that dream. That's the point at which most people give up. And I hear Palm Sunday in this, in this arc of a storytelling. Maybe we can hear that too. So Jesus is being acknowledged as the Lord of Lords. The people are shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches, laying down their coats as Jesus rode in on the donkey, on the colt of a donkey. He is being acknowledged as the king that he is. It is this really good part, the height of Jesus' ministry. Just before the really bad part, in his story, right? Just before the ending that we all know is on the brink of taking place. He moved through Palm Sunday, but he did not stop there. So thinking about that, it got me curious, like how often does God birth dreams within us, whisper to us what we are really here for? And how often do we respond. Even with Lent, I wonder if some of us have moved through a period of letting go of something or maybe adding something to our lives with what I assume is the intention of adding life to our life. How how did this go for us? Or or maybe what roadblocks did we face or what helped us move through? We all move through different stages of growth in our lives, when you're on the brink of growth and change, brink of transformation, what moves us through it well? So let's dive into our scripture portion for the day. I have loved listening to the scripture here. It, it, uh, today we're specifically looking at Matthew 21, 1 through 11, the triumphal entry. But the story of Palm Sunday can also be found in the book of Mark in chapter 11 and the book of Luke chapter 19. So hold me accountable. You can whip out your Bibles and go through this with me if you want. And let's see what we find here together. So let's dive in and just chew on this. So as Jesus approached Jerusalem, this is essentially the height of his ministry, like we mentioned, right? At this point, people have heard what he has done, and they are excited about what he can do. And he came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. He asked for his disciples to go and get him the colt of a donkey from a village nearby. So during this time, riding into the city on a donkey resembled, symbolized royalty and leadership in stark contrast to if someone were riding in on a horse symbolizing war. So Jesus is claiming peace as he's riding in. But so now he asked to borrow the colt of a donkey, the baby of a donkey. And I just want to spend a quick minute on this because I actually found it super interesting. So I've read some differing reputable opinions on what the colt of a donkey actually symbolized. So some say that a The baby of a donkey is what symbolized lowliness or gentleness. Another said that riding in on the baby of a donkey is actually, that's the ultimate symbol of royalty, riding on a donkey that no one has ever ridden on before. 
yet another, and I love this, said that I, can, I think we can assume a donkey that's never been ridden on before can be difficult to manage. And so Jesus did this. He rode on this donkey that's never been ridden on before with gentleness and confidence. I think of the dog whisperer, if anyone else is a fan. He talks about, you know, animals can feel our energy and how we carry himself. I would be a hot mess if I were riding in to a city on a donkey that's never been ridden on before. Jesus is doing this with confidence and gentleness. But regardless of the symbolism of the donkey, he says that he is doing this, riding on the colt of a donkey, to fulfill a prophecy from the Old Testament, from Zechariah 9.9. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this translation used gentle. Another, in its place, used humble. Yet another the word meek. The message version used the words poised and ready, and yet another righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. So maybe it's just me. For the longest time, I thought that ride, the donkey itself was what symbolized humility. What I'm hearing is, it's how Jesus is carrying himself through this moment of being recognized as king on this donkey that's never been ridden on before with poise and gentleness, meekness, humility. So the word meek, according to some theologians, and I'm just, I love words and language, so sorry if I'm totally boring you, but I love the symbolism and all of this. So some theologians say that the word meek is the most untranslatable word in the New Testament. The word proutes is Greek for meek, meaning strength under control. It gets at this idea of perfectly combining strength and gentleness. The qualities I assume it would take to ride on a donkey that's never been ridden on before. He held that gentle, yet confidence about him. As I mentioned before, this word is often used in its place as humble as well. The core part of the word humility comes from the word humilis, meaning from the ground or grounded or from the earth, rather. So Jesus moved through Palm Sunday this triumphant entry into the city, being recognized as king with groundedness and strength under control, humility and meekness. So I think for me, I love this so much because I've often misrepresented the word humility in my own life. I want to dig into this idea of humility for a second. A good friend of mine that is taking a yoga training class, and they specifically focus on learning about different qualities and attributes. And I loved how her teacher got at the heart of the meaning humility. She said, can somebody have too much humility? Can somebody have 
too little humility? What does too much look like, sound like, feel like? What does too little humility sound like and feel like? As Jesus entered Jerusalem, he showed us how to have that porridge just right kind of humility. Meekness, lowliness, from the earth, groundedness, all wrapped up in this lovely self-confidence of knowing who he was and what he was here to do. In my own yoga training, I remember um, after one of our practices, we're all chatting about the moment in practice. If you're a yogi, I'm sure you might know this too. For me, when I'm like feeling good, it's usually in half moon. I'm just riding it out, feeling it like, oh, I'm sure I am being used as an example. Somebody is totally looking at me and trying to learn how to do this posture. And then in the next breath, she asks us to do a headstand. And that is when I feel called to take child's pose and just lay on my mat, you know, just honoring my body. No, but for real. Or if I try headstand, I completely fall on my face or just make a complete fool of myself or do something entirely more embarrassing. But so as we were reminiscing about this, she just nodded and looked at us like, yes, I know that feeling well. One moment's ego is the next moment's humbling. And then the next moment's moment of humbling comes the following rise of the ego, right? As humans, we, can't, we move through this up and down. My favorite mystic, Eckhart Tolle, says, the ego shows up any time we feel more or less than. I think we often think of more than, but maybe not always less than. Any time we feel more than or less than, that is our ego, not our true self. Our truest self and identity with God. And the ego is not bad, right? It can really be one of our greatest teachers, showing us how to really tune into who we are outside from those highs and lows. When we succeed, we can be tempted to believe we are really our successes. Or when we fail or experience hardship, even at the hands of others like Jesus did, if we believe either, we can feel that our whole self is either made or destroyed depending on the outcome. And if that outcome is not what we hope, we can shrink back into smaller versions of ourselves where we might feel safe. But that is not who we are. That is not who we are in our identity with Jesus. That's not who we are at our core. We live outside of those highs and lows. So now here we are. The climax of Jesus' ministry, getting back to the Bible story, the height of his story on earth. The word has spread. As he entered the city, people were laying their cloaks and palm branches on the path for him because they thought this was it. This was the guy that was coming to save them from oppression and lead them to independence from the Roman Empire. They did not at the time understand that Christ's mission was to free them from the tyranny of sin rather than that of political domination. So let's pause here, okay? At this really good part in the story, just on the brink of the death and the resurrection. Going back to the quote from the alchemist, at the point in the story, just after the really good part, 
Okay, going back to those first examples in the beginning where the alchemist looks to the shepherd boy and says, but wait, this is the point. This is the point where most people give up. You have learned everything you need to know for the next part of your life, but now it's going to be put to the test. This is your opportunity to bring your gift to the world. Now is the time where all of this is being put to the test for you to move through for your benefit. And remember from family movie night, not really good part. So, okay, earmuffs, if you have not seen the movie, I'll wave to you maybe so you can unmute me when I'm done. If you don't want to hear this, don't, don't come to me like I spoiled the movie for you. Earmuffs. But so Raya and the Last Dragon, they're literally dancing on the raindrops, soaking in their new friendship and just kind of glorying in everything that they've learned up to this point. But literally in the movie, their world is still broken. Oh, and I don't want to give you too many spoilers, but she literally has to lay down her life in order to, okay, I'm waving. You can unmute me if you did. But in order for the end to come to a resolution. But I I say all of this because it is in this arc of a good story, the really good parts leading into the characters being put to test up until the ending. It is in that arc of a good story, in those sequence of events that the character of the person is revealed, right, in that sequencing. So, so much of who Jesus is is shown to us through how he lives through Palm Sunday to the cross and the resurrection. He is lowly, grounded, humble, confident in the plan set out for him. This beautifully interwoven combination of humility and gentleness and strength and overall connectedness to God the Father and what he came to fulfill, his mission. He is able to be grounded in his truest identity so that he is not thrown from the highs and lows of the world. And guess what, right? This is not, this is not a spoiler or alert. Jesus didn't stop at that point either, the part that we would rather not move through. That point in his story where he is being hailed as king, what does he do next? After he enters into the city, I kind of love this. I didn't realize that this is exactly what happened. As we continue on from the portion of the scripture from Matthew 21, 12 through 14, Jesus went straight into the temple and threw out everyone who had set up shop, buying and selling. He kicked over the tables and loan sharks and the stalls of dove merchants. He quotes this text, My house was designated a house of prayer. You have made it a hangout for thieves. And the scripture goes on to say, Now there was room for the blind and crippled to get in. They came to Jesus, and he healed them. What I love about this juxtaposition of flipping tables and riding on a donkey is that this worldly detachment right, is not free from passion. He is simply living from the core of who he is. And because he does that, he is able to love people well on his way to the cross, where we know he ultimately surrendered his life and gave of his life. 
So this got me thinking. What if Jesus stopped at Palm Sunday? What if he gave up at the point where most people do give up? What, what got him through? I would argue that the scripture is showing us that what got him through is this deep connectedness and groundedness to the I am, to he is I am, right? Creator. Deeply in the gut and, and in the bones of he knows what he is made for and what he came to do. So that neither successes nor failures, you know, could throw him from his purpose and mission in life. And I, I know that we are not Jesus, we're not here to save the world, but I see this as a beautiful example of how to live our stories and join in the work of our purpose and mission in this life outside from the distractions of the world. And, and also, too, like, what, what's the big deal of him? There's nothing wrong with him being recognized at Palm Sunday, of course. That's beautiful, but I think it's cool and important to remember that he wasn't being recognized for all of who he was, at least not entirely, right? That was to come. So, as we reflect today, as we've been doing, leading up to Easter here, I just want to think about how often does God birth dreams for our lives within us? And how often do we respond? Are we more likely to get swept back up in the waves of the world or our worldly desires are conforming to how we think something should go and ignoring maybe a, a, a call that's been placed in us. And it, it can be quiet, right? And, and so it's just taking some time to sit and listen with that. God, what are you calling me to do? It can be tempting to listen to the ego, right? Rather than to listen for a call on our lives, staying small, maybe in the lives of fear, fear of being rejected or not affirmed, maybe an attachment to comfort or desires. And, and of course, not all worldly things are outside of God's plans for us, of course not, but sometimes they can rub up against them and hold us back, like an aversion to an unpleasant experiment or experience or an attachment to status or worldly affirmation. So when do we feel, when do you feel you are living in line with God's purpose for your life? What holds you back? I think we inherently all feel this urge to leave this life with nothing left to give, to come to the end hearing, well done. And what I love about this Palm Sunday narrative is that I see it as an invitation to move through, to free us from worldly attachments in a call to fully step into God's invitation for our lives. And maybe you'll disagree with me and maybe I'm wrong, but in my own wrestle with God and trying to understand 
the, the bigness of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel, I am starting to feel like this is in part why Jesus died on the cross. Yes, to save us from our sins. Yes, to gift us with eternal life. And also, perhaps, in part, to show us how to die to false parts of ourself that we may put out there for the world, to the ego in us, the feeling less than or more than, our worldly attachments, our comfort, our selfish desires, to die to the parts of me that my creator knows is really holding me back from true resurrected life and freedom and the goodness that life has to offer. The invitation to humility, to being deeply grounded and connected, this confidence that Jesus had in what he came to do, I feel like is also this invitation to let the false parts of us fall away. The parts that are attached to playing it safe or certainty or selfishness. So if there's something I hope that we can digest from the scripture today is this invitation to cultivate humility for the purpose of moving through our stories well, our story arc well, the highs into the lows, the resistance that comes, that testing, right? after keeping the end story in mind, the freedom in mind. You know, when we move through that really bad part, just after the really good part in our own stories. So, just want to say to end, Jesus didn't come for Palm Sunday. Jesus came to live meekly and grounded to God's call on his life to move beyond worldly recognition and attachments, to offer his life as a sacrifice for our freedom, freedom from sins and freedom to write our own story. One filled with love. Jesus lived his story well so that we can fearlessly and courageously write our own. Dear Lord, we often sing the words, we our heart, make our hearts break for what breaks yours. And as we talked about in the announcements this morning with everything going on in the world, I think I speak for more than just myself, when I say our hearts are breaking, Please radiate your presence through our brokenness for the sake of your mission, your purpose that you are inviting us into. May we courageously and fearlessly join in the mission of living in this already not yet kingdom and work to bring heaven to earth 
In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.